This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. I'd like to call y'all attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 through 16. <laughs> and if you're fighting, would you please stand? Verse 1. Be ye imitators of me, as I am of Christ. And I have commended you, because you remember me in everything, and maintain the tradition, as even, even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies, with his head covered, dishonor his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonor her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaved. For if a wife would not cover her head, then should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For a woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Judge for yourself. It is proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered. Does not nature, nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a cover. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have not such practice nor do the church of God. Let's pray. Father, we come again asking for your aid here, Lord, as we consider this passage before us today. Lord, we, uh, as always, need your help and understanding. So we look to you and we pray, grant it. Lord, uh, I ask that you enable me to deliver the message you would have delivered here. Please enable me to Deal with this text accurately, reverently, and please open all of our ears to hear the instruction that you have laid out for your church. Just part of the ways in which you have designed for us to reflect your glory, bring honor and glory and praise to you. That's what we seek to do, Father, and we ask that you make us able to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be seated. Amen. Yeah, I do appreciate that, Dan and Zach and David as well. 
Um, I want to just mention again, we're, we're touching on a topic here, and I'll, I'll explain in a, mi- in a minute, um, that, that uh, is related to what we're talking about on Wednesday nights. In fact, um, it just, it'll be my intention to get into this in more detail in our Wednesday night study. Uh, at least more detail than we will this morning. We, we, we're still going to have some more to go on this. Um, but uh, So I encourage you to be here for that if you can. And it, it is one of the joys, I tell you, one of the joys of, of not just, well, I started to say preaching the Word of God. Certainly that's true, but not just preaching the Word of God, but, but just studying. One of the joys of studying the Word of God for, for any Christian is the, the challenge um, the challenges that you get faced with, you 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 get to uh, you get to stretch yourself, or, or God stretches you by by means of His truth um, in your thinking, having to go into areas that you might more than likely not just might, but more than likely wouldn't go on your own. Have to deal with subjects that you wouldn't deal with otherwise, um, and you you deal with um, topics that are controversial in our culture. And it's always been the case, and every every time there there are always at least some areas where God's God's word runs counter to um, the thinking of culture, because the culture is driven uh, by uh, by earthly thinking, worldly thinking. Well, this is this is this text is one of those takes us into one of those areas. Uh, so we're talking about uh, here, in part, and we, we will. We'll have more opportunity as we go, even here in Corinthians. And then, as I say, probably, uh, Lord willing, deal with it in more detail on Wednesday nights as we move through our study there. But we're talking about headship and submission in the church, specifically um, the, the roles of men and women in the local body. Now, this passage presents some real challenges, not, not just because the thinking of it runs you know, countercultural, which it does, but there, there's just a lot of things said here, uh, several things. I'll try to point them, point them out as we go and, and, uh, and try, to, try to distinguish because there are a lot of things said here that are difficult to know the meaning of. In other words, Paul doesn't expressly tell us. We've already seen some examples of that in, in the problems that he's dealt with earlier on. Uh, in fact, probably just about every one of them, um, maybe with the exception of the man committing incest. You know, we're, we're told, for example, there are divisions in the church, but we don't really know the, the, the full extent of it. Um, so there, there, are, there are sentences, phrases, words here that, that we don't have a lot of explanation on. But I think the main principles here are clear enough. So what I'm going to try to do and uh, is what I always try to do, hopefully, is distinguish between the things that we clearly know and then those things that are less obvious, you know, that, that there may be some, some room, um, some room in, in terms of interpretation. Uh, so we'll, we'll try to distinguish there between those things that we know and those things that we don't know um, as we move through here. So, keep that in mind. The, the issue here, and remember, Paul, what Paul's been doing is going issue by issue, dealing with uh, issues raised by the Corinthian church in a letter that they sent to him. Now, he is switching 
um, making a change here, switching topics. So verse 1 actually, and I, I did mention this last week, verse 1 actually goes with what is prior to it. So we talked last Sunday night, for example, about living for the glory of God, you know, our, our ultimate purpose. And, and Paul sums it up in verse 31. In fact, that is, I would say, the summation of this whole book. That's the key verse you want to you have in mind as you move through this whole book of Corinthians. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. That's the goal that we are to be pursuing. Not only as individuals, although that's certainly true, but as a church. And the, the way for us to do that is to operate according to God's Word. And again, that's true in our lives as individuals, and it's true in our uh, church life. If we're, if we're going to seek to glorify God, then we have to operate according to the guidelines that God has given us in His Word. So Paul says, whatever you, whatever you do, whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And then in chapter 11, verse 1, he says, be imitators of me. Now, he has in mind everything he just said. Because this is what he's doing. This is how he's living his life. For the glory of God. For the benefit of others. He's not seeking worldly wisdom. He's not forsaking the wisdom of God proclaimed in the gospel. He's, he's, he's living and dying for that. He's not getting involved in schisms, personality-driven divisions, and all of these kinds of things. He does have his brothers and sisters' best interests at heart so that when he operates as a Christian, he, he's not just out there trying to you know, ex- express the fullness of his liberty in Christ. He's trying to live in a manner that edifies other believers. So the question for Paul is not, what can I do and still be a Christian? The question for Paul is, what can I do that will help my brothers and sisters? What can I do that will strengthen the weak? And what can I do, um, how can I live in a manner that will that will further my sanctification. So he has his, his own sanctification in view, as well as the sanctification of other believers. Now, he wants the church to do the same. Be imitators of me. Literally, that's mimic. Mimic me. Mimic me just like I mimic Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So Paul says, follow my example Spend your lives for the glory of God. Now, he's, he's making a shift in verse 2 to a new section to deal with new topics. He's still uh, addressing, uh, apparently, things that have been submitted to him in the letter that the Corinthians sent to him. So he's going on to the next topic. This is going to last a while. And what, what we're dealing with this morning... Verses 1 through 16 have to do with the role of men and women in the church um, in public assembly. Um, but the instruction that he's going to give now in chapters 11, 12, 13, 14 is, is all about how to conduct yourself in the household of God. That's the way he says it in Timothy. In other words, how do you act as the people of God? I remember when we dealt with that in Timothy, 
Paul says, I'm writing these things to you, Timothy, so that you know how to conduct yourselves in the household of God. He's not meaning, I want you to know how to act in the church service. I mean, he does mean that, but he means more than that. Not, not, not simply that. So when he says, here's how you're to act in the household of God, he doesn't mean when you come inside this building, here's how you act. Now, when he says household of God, he's, he's meaning family. And you think of like David's household, right? The Lord Jesus was part of David's household, part of his family. You're part of the household of your mother and your father and your grandmothers and your grandfathers. You're part of that household. And you probably act a certain way because of that. And rightfully so. You know, we all have our, our little um, quirks and differences, things that stand out, things that are characteristic of our family and so forth. Well, that's what Paul is saying. There, there are things that characterize the household of God, the church of God, the family of God. And there's a certain way that we function as a family. He wants us to be functional. I mean, there is one sense, obviously, uh, right, where you could say that we're a dysfunctional family. And that's because we're all sinners. <laughs> there's, there's nobody in the church that's not a sinner. We're all sinners. So, in one sense, we're, we're dysfunctional. So, that's why we have to take heed to these things and, and purposely um, seek to line ourselves up with the Word of God because we're not just going to fall into it naturally. Not like I'm going to wake up one day and just automatically you know, treat my wife better or treat my children better or whatever it is. There has to be obedience to the Word of God. There has to be effort toward that end. There has to be a desire to glorify God in all that I do and a purposeful pursuit of that goal by the grace of God. And so that's true of our church life as well. We, we, we want to come together for the edification of one another as we come together to worship the Lord. So that's the, the theme that he's starting on now. He's, he's going to talk about men and women's roles. He's going to talk about uh, the Lord's Supper. He's going to talk about spiritual gifts. All of these things um, having to do with problems going on in the church at Corinth that Paul is addressing and setting straight. So, kind of like, remember the other night when we looked at Titus and Paul said, I left you at Crete so that you might set things in order. And so that's what Paul's doing here. He's, he's, he's saying we're going we're to set things in order. We want things to function properly. And, and he starts with um, the issue at hand uh, in verses 1 through 16. Now, again, that's probably because they they raise this issue in, this, in their letter. So he's answering, answering it. Now, interestingly, in verse 2, he says, I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. Now, that's, that's an interesting statement after we've talked about how they are running in opposition to Paul, um, rejecting his apostleship and, and, and his doctrine. And, uh, you know, you, go, you think back to chapter 4 where Paul is defending himself and his apostleship and, and talking about being judged by them. But I think that, uh, and this is characteristic of Paul, he's not, he's not being hypocritical. I think he's just, 
he's just um, exhibiting brotherly love here, kindness, um, treating them like like he's instructed uh, Timothy and Titus to treat others. You know, you, you, the, the churches that they're serving. He's he's acting as a as a as a father who loves in a tender manner his children. So I, I think it's interesting to note all the way through here that he does not um, deal with them. He deals with them with hope. He does not deal with them as though they were lost, pagan, without hope. He deals with them with hope. It's again, as we pointed out earlier, it's as if he is saying, "You are in Christ." Now. You need to act like you're in Christ. Your conduct, your character, your behavior needs to be consistent with who you are in reality. And so they, while they have troubled Paul in, in, uh, in many aspects, nevertheless, they are continuing in some of the things that he has taught them. Now, I think this word tradition is going to be key here for the next, uh, at least for the rest of chapter 11. Um, he says, I, I commend you because you remember me and everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. So Paul is acknowledging there are certain things that I taught you, that, I, that you got through me. I delivered them to you. Certain traditions that you are maintaining. Now, interestingly enough, uh, it seems to me you read the rest of chapter 11 and he's going to basically say you're doing it wrong. <laughs> you're wrong-headed and your heart's in the wrong place and, and, and your behavior's wrong and you've got you to gotta get it together. You've got to get your act together. You've got to make up your mind to glorify Christ instead of just seeking self-glory. But nevertheless, they are continuing... Uh, it's, you know, it's almost like if you were, you were thinking of a church or writing to a church or something that's just totally gone out in left field or something, or at least they headed that direction, and you say to them, you know what, I'm glad that you all have continued to meet here. and I'm glad that you've continued to come together as a church. Uh, and then you start to kind of let the hammer down. But here's the deal, you know. You're not quite doing things right. And that's sort of what Paul is doing here. And I like it's not disingenuous. I mean, I think he is saying, I'm glad that you're, you're holding on to these things, but there's definitely room for improvement here. Now, he says, I commend you because you, re- you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions. Now, what does he have in mind there? Well, this is one of those things. We, we, we don't know for sure exactly what all Paul gave them to do and what they are maintaining. I, I think we can safely say at least uh, a couple of things is what he mentions here in chapter 11. The, the practice of, uh, of, of covering, which we're going to talk about in a moment, which they are, at least some of them are, are forsaking, um, and the Lord's Supper. You know, Christ instructed His disciples to observe the Lord's Supper in remembrance of, of Him and uh, of His death until He comes. And Paul passed that on to the churches that he founded. 
And so uh, I think that's one of the things he's talking about. It's a tradition. It's a right tradition. It's a tradition worth keeping. Now, interestingly enough, there's going to be another a, a distinction here between some traditions that may not cross cultural lines, may not cross um, into uh, different times. So they may be cultural or, or, or uh, time-relevant. And then there are some, like the Lord's Supper, that belong to every church, every believer in every age. They are to be kept. They are to be observed um, for the glory of God. Again, I'll try to explain more of that as we go. All right, but he, he's commending them. You've kept some of the traditions that I have given you. Now, if you look real quick in verse 16, these are kind of the two bookends on this first part of this section. He says, you maintain the traditions. Now, in verse 16, he says, um, after he gives instruction, if anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. So there he uses the term practice or the King James uses, translates it uh, custom. And I think he's talk, it has the same idea. It is a different word, but I think it has the same idea there. Tradition, custom, practice. So he's saying you've maintained these traditions that I handed to you. And, and he makes reference again to custom or practice in verse 16 as he looks back on what he's just said. So, so he has in mind certain things that he has taught them to do that he wants them to continue in. All right. First one is this in chapter, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 3. He begins talking about the first one. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. The head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Now, let me stop there for just a moment, and we'll finish it out in a minute. So, he's talking here about headship and about covering. And it can all get a little confusing, right? And, there, and there's still today a lot of debate over this issue. Um, he, he says here that women's heads should be covered when they pray or prophesy. Well, you know, in the not-so-distant past, even in our society, that was a... Common practice, although um, it works out differently among different people. There, there are uh, people today like the the Amish, the Mennonites, and and others who you know they wear just kind of the women wear just kind of a little uh, what do you call it bonnet or something like that. I don't know shawl, whatever they call it shawl or or veil veil. Um, uh, well, I guess it wouldn't be a veil. You know, the King James uses the word veil, but but I don't I don't think what what Paul has in mind here is a veil would be like what you see with the Muslim women wearing, uh, which my understanding is that was not common at, at this time in the first century. Um, so, so it'd be some sort of little head covering. And, and like I say, uh, today you'll, you'll see women do it, uh, especially in, among the Mennonites. I had some friends years ago who <coughs> were Mennonites, and uh, she always wore the little covering over her head. Um, but in, in most churches, like the, the Baptists and so forth, years ago, and I'm, I'm just, you, you only have to go back probably 40 or 50 years Women wore hats, but it was born out of this. I mean, it was the same same idea. They just did it differently. So when they went to church, they put on a hat 
right? You've all seen that. Some, some still do that, although uh, for the most part, uh, most churches have gotten away from it. So, this is what Paul is dealing with here, a covering and the reason for it. And that's what we want to hone in on. So, so he says, I want you to understand. So that's, that's going to be important. We're going to do the best we can to understand it here. I've got, I got to point out a couple of things. It may sound a little confusing. First one is this. There's two uh, heads here. In other words, the word head, kephale in the, in the Greek, is, is used two different ways in this passage. And so you, you, you just got to watch it close to see what he's, which one he's using. He uses it in a literal sense. In other words, referring to your head, that, that part of your body. That, uh, you know, what uh, my next door neighbor when I was growing up used to call your noggin, you know. Well, Paul's referring to your noggin, sits up there on top of your shoulders. And then he also uses it metaphorically. Same word, kephale, head in the English. He uses it metaphorically, meaning the idea of authority. That is... That is um, Disputed that definition. I'm giving it to you because I think it's right. Now, the authority or, or leader. Some people want to say, and this has basically really caught hold since the feminist movement of the 1960s. A lot of scholars now are wanting to redefine it as source. And best I can tell, there's you know very little basis. For that, it's just not good. Uh, first place, it's not. It's not. It's just not the natural reading. You would. You would just what you'd automatically think of as you come across it. But from what I've seen in the ancient Greek, there's just zero evidence for it. All right. So I think it means what it appears to mean. Authority, leader. So so Paul uses the term head in a metaphorical sense to refer to authority. But he also uses it in a literal sense, referring to your your head, that part of your body. So again, look at verse 3. I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. Alright, which which form are we seeing there? Huh? Authority. Right, that's the metaphoric. There he's using it in a, in a, in a metaphoric sense. The head of every man is Christ. Christ is the head of every man. It's not, not just that he's the source. He's an authority. He's the leader of every man. So, he said, I want you to understand this. This is God. God has designed things in this way. The head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. Now, the terms he uses there for wife and husband are simply man and woman. And some translations translate it that way. But I do think, and the ESV uses the terms wife and husband... Uh, to, to get what I think is the correct idea across. In other words, as we talk about headship, you know, man is head over the woman. Submission. Woman is to be in submission to the man. What we're not talking about is every woman in submission to every man. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about every man is head over every woman, in authority over every woman. I don't think that's what Paul is saying at all. And that's the reason the ESV translates it wife and husband. <clears throat> because I think that's what Paul is, is intending here. It's what he means. 
So in other words, the head of man is Christ, and the head of a wife, or you could say woman, the head of a woman is her man. Her man, which would be her husband. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. That's a, it's astounding the way that, that Paul, even before he goes into making his case, he's grounding it in God's economy, the way God has set things up from creation. Now, that's important because what that means is this, what he's about to say about, about men's role of headship and women's role of submission is not culturally or time relevant. It spans all the ages, and it spans all cultures. It's supposed to. It's supposed to. He grounds his argument in creation, the way that God has set things up. And, if that wasn't good enough, he grounds it in the very hierarchy, if you will, of the Godhead. Isn't that awesome? God is the head of Christ, Paul says. And he's saying, that's where I'm, what I'm about to tell you, that's where I'm coming from. This is the way God operates. God the Father is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of man. And man, in the form of husband, is the head of woman, in the form of wife. So Paul's saying that's the way it is. This is the way God has set things up from creation. There is a reflection of the Godhead in the way God designed man. And he says, I want you to understand this. Now, he gets to the, to the issue at hand with this local church. Well, we better do the same thing because running out of time quickly here. And as I said, I'll give you, if I have to speed through this, I'll give you time for questions tonight. Verse 4. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. Alright? Every man who prays or prophesies with his head, literally his head covered, dishonors his head. Metaphorically. Dishonors Christ. In other words, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors Christ. His head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head covered, her literal head, I'm sorry, uncovered, with her literal head uncovered, dishonors her head, metaphorically, her husband. So if she prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, she dishonors her husband. And not to, not to open a can of worms, but I want you to notice here, in the context of public worship, Paul mentions women praying and prophesying. I want you to remember that because we're going to look at some other verses later that appear to contradict that. And, and it's going to take some time, so be patient because it's going to take some time to work through it and, and lay it all out. And I don't have time to do that right now, but I just want you to notice that he mentions that. So he says, every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, that is her husband, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. Now, there he, there he is appealing to something cultural. In other words, in their culture, and I think it's, um, I'm going to say generally true in our culture as well, 
in their culture, it was a shame for a woman to have her head shaved. Now, remember, we're not, we're not talking about cancer victims here. He's, he's talking about something with an attitude behind it. An attitude of rebellion behind it. So he's saying it, it's a shame. Now, now he, he does, interestingly enough, he does appeal also not only to God's design and creation and the Godhead and so forth, but he also appeals to what is customary, what is accepted, what is recognized commonly um, as right and wrong. And some of these things can change in different cultures. All right? So, at any rate, he says um, it would be the same as if she were shaven. If, if she prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, she dishonors her husband, and that would be the same as if she were shaven. What does that mean? I'll come back to that in just a minute. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is a disgrace, since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair, uh, for, to cut her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. So he's 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 uh, assuming they all agree it's 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 disgraceful for a woman to to shave her head or to or to uh, cut her hair short. And so he says, since that's disgraceful, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head. He's implying that would be unacceptable, his literal head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. Now, why is it a shame for a woman to have short hair? Why is it disgraceful? Why is it a shame or disgraceful for a woman to shave her head? Well, in their culture, that was a symbol of rebellion. So, let me... Let me just use what I think is a, is, a, is a good parallel here. Because remember, we're talking about married men and married women in the church. So, um, Paul is saying the woman ought to have her head covered. The head covering. Why? Because it symbolizes that she is under authority. Under the authority of her husband. So, similarly, similarly, just to draw a parallel, we, we could say, you ought to wear your wedding band. Why? Well, everybody knows why, don't we? I mean, come on, we've all been to the movies and we've all seen, you know, where the, the, the guys meet a good-looking lady and, and the next scene, what do you see them doing? You know, they slip off the wedding band, they slip it in the drawer and go back to talk to the lady. Why are they doing that? Because they, they don't want her to know that they're married. What, what Paul is saying is, the fact that these women are married and in submission to their husband ought to be declared publicly. Now, the way that they did it in their culture was by wearing the head covering. Now, I do think, I do think, now I'm just I'm giving you my opinion here, best I understand the, the Scripture here. As far as the actual head covering, you know, wearing the, the dolly or whatever it is on, on the head. And, it's, and, and by the way, it's, it's fine. Like I say, we just have some friends that would do that, and it doesn't bother me. That's fine. But as, as far as actually doing that, I do think that's cultural relevant. And it's not common in our culture today. 
And so I don't think it actually serves the same purpose. Although, again, if a woman is, feels compelled to do that, then by all means do it. Do not violate your conscience. Okay? And I wouldn't advise you to violate your conscience. Um, but, but I don't think it has the same... I don't think people are going to look at it and, and, and understand what Paul is talking here, generally speaking. But they do with the wedding band. So that's, that might be kind of a parallel. But here's the thing. What, it, the, what Paul is saying, the principle here that is not culturally relevant, the principle that, that the, the truth, God's truth that spans all times and all cultures and all ethnicities, is this role of submission and headship. When Paul talks about the man being the head and the woman being in submission to her husband, that is not culturally relevant. That carries through across all boundaries. That's true of the church. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be true of the church everywhere. Why why do I say that? Because, again, he grounds his argument in creation. He doesn't say, well, you know what? We do this because this is the thing to do in Corinth. No, we do this because this is the way God set it up. And he doesn't even go back to the fall. Some people want to argue, well, you know what? Um, man is the head. Woman is in submission because of the fall. Because of the fall. And so now, Christ has restored us. He's reconciled us to God, redeemed us from the curse of the law. And so now there's no difference. So we can do away with that. So I, I want you to notice, Paul doesn't go back to the fall. He doesn't say, you know, the, the man's the head and the woman was in submission because of sin, because of the fall. No, he takes it all the way back to God's original design. This is the way God set it up. This is the way God created man. Man as, that is, male as head and his wife in submission. Now, what all that means and the way that plays out, again, Lord willing, um, we'll, we'll be able to... We've, we've done quite a bit of talking about that in the past in Sunday school and so forth, and Lord willing, we'll do some more. We just won't have time to do it this morning. But I just want you to get the main principle. This still applies. And, and notice this as well. He's speaking here. He's giving these instructions concerning what we're doing right now. That is, the operation of the local church. In the church. In the assembly. When you come together is going to be a, a phrase that he, he will use here from time to time. So, he says, the man is ahead. God is ahead of Christ. Christ is ahead of man. Man is ahead of woman. Or you could say husband is ahead of wife. Verse 8, he gives some of the logic behind it. Again, he's, he's, he's uh, grounding it in creation. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. It's a symbol of authority to show that she is in submission to her husband. Now, evidently, the problem in Corinth was... Um, 
that women were doing away with these. Paul is saying, no, because in our culture, those show that you're in submission. But again, understand me here. The main thing is, I think, not so much the, the little covering itself. The main thing is that you're in submission. And the main thing is, to the men, that you really are functioning as the head of your household in a spiritual sense, directly under Christ. That is, you are submitted to Christ. Listen, I don't care if you're male, female. As a Christian, you never get away. You never escape this idea of submission. In fact, I will take it further. It's a glorious thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And my wife will even say that of her role as a wife. And believe me, it's not because of who she's married to. She just, she just understands that the greatest blessing is in living in obedience to Christ. Now, this is one reason this is so important, because you may be sitting here as you know, single today, and you think, well, how, how does this apply to me? Because it works out in all relationships differently, not the same as it does between, heaven, uh, between uh, husband and wife, but it works out differently in all relationships and it's important in the context of the local church, which is what Paul is specifically dealing with here. But the idea of submission, the principle of submission, every Christian needs to grasp that. Because we are called to live lives of submission. So, he says, neither was woman created for, uh, or man created for a woman, but woman for man, that's verse 9. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Uh, let me just say real quick, the, the term angels here, angelos, sometimes is translated messengers. This is one of those cases where I think that's probably uh, the way it should be translated here. Uh, another one is in uh, Hebrews, when uh, Hebrews 13, 2, when the writer of Hebrews says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. I think that's probably meaning messengers. In other words, you, sometimes you encounter other Christians and you're unaware of it. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, watch how you act. Watch how you act. You might be dealing with a brother or sister in Christ. So I think that's probably the idea here. For, for the sake of the other messengers, um, you ought to have a symbol of authority on your head. In other words, your submission to your husband ought to be displayed, publicly declared. It ought to be obvious. It ought to be evident. It ought to be apparent. There may be different ways of doing that. You may wear a literal covering on your head. You may wear a wedding band. It may just be and certainly should be by your demeanor. That should be the case regardless of what is outwardly. Your submission needs to be known. And then he argues from, from nature, judge for yourselves in verse 13. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her, uh, with her head uncovered? Now, here's from, from culture. I said nature. In other words, they, they all understand that this is improper because it's, it's disrespectful. Now he goes to nature, verse 14. Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? 
But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. Now, I said we talk about things we, we know and things we don't know. We know that the principle of headship and submission are right and good and they apply. In Paul's mind, what constitutes long hair? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And, and I think that may be another case where, where we can actually look to culture to help us define that. And that's even true in our day, isn't it? I mean, even with all the different expressions, you know. Yeah, it's big to express yourself. With all the different expressions, they're still like, they're pretty much, I mean, I know it's not clearly defined, but there's pretty much a general consensus of what's acceptable and what's not. Uh, and so we can, we can kind of use that. In other words, if I do thus and so, is it going to offend people in our culture? And, and that, that kind of helps us deal with other people and, and, uh, and not cause an unnecessary dis- distraction. All right, so I don't know what long hair is in Paul's mind, uh, but I think, again, the principle is he doesn't want men looking like women and he doesn't want women looking like men. He doesn't want women openly declaring rebellion instead of submission. And he doesn't want men effeminate instead of masculine and operating as head. Leader, authority. And Paul seems to think there should be a clear distinction there between men and women. I think that's the principle. That's the principle. But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. Boy, isn't that true? I mean, sometimes just sometimes just the length of you know. I mean, if a man's got really long hair. And it's different on different individuals. I mean, you can see two guys with the same length hair. One of them may look, still look somewhat masculine. The other one may look effeminate. Just their whole makeup, you know, has to be considered. But just generally speaking, you probably don't look at a man with hair down to his waist and think, how beautiful. <laughs> at least generally speaking. But, uh, but with a woman, you might. I mean, it just, not mine, you probably will. Because it, 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 it just looks natural. It, 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 it adorns her. All right? And that's not to say that short hair is bad. Again, I'm just, I'm just simply saying that the two things look different on the two, the two different sexes. So, he says her hair is given, and again, you can't, but it, it'd be tough to define anyway. What is, what is long and what is short? For her hair is given to her for a covering. That's interesting too. So there you've got a natural covering God has given the woman um, as her glory. And that is true, isn't it? And that's why Paul doesn't want him shaving it. Although he says you might as well. If you're going to be in rebellion, you might as well shave your head. Now, I have to close. So let's just real quick with this last verse. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Now, there's variances on translation here. Um, Some translations say we have no other practice. 
um, to clarify that to clarify that Paul is is saying here. This is how we operate. Now, what I, what I just read you makes it sound like we don't do this. I mean, if anyone is inclined to be this is the ESV. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Well, I don't think Paul's referring to everything he just said and saying we don't do this because he just made the case for it. And he commended them for keeping what they do keep. I, I, I think possibly he's referring to their rebellion, their, their contention. He's saying we don't do that. You want to be contentious over this issue? We don't, we don't have that practice in the church. Just kind of a way of shutting it down with authority. In other words, he's not going to humor them with a debate. He's just going to say, we're not going there. This, this is how it is. All right, we'll have to take it up tonight. But let me just say this. Again, the main thing here is the principle of headship and submission. I don't think it's so much the, the little, the actual head covering, whether to wear one or not to wear one. It is our women, are you in submission to your husband? Men, are you acting as spiritual head of your wife and your household under and in submission to Jesus Christ? That's what Paul's calling for. It's what the Holy Spirit's calling for. And that's what he's saying. If you're going to operate as a church that seeks to glorify God, then you need to come in line with God's design on this and operate in the roles that God has created for you to operate in. All right, let's, let's stand. And I, I appreciate your patience. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for Your Word. And as always, pray for Your help, Lord, in, in being submitted. Submitting ourselves to Your truth. Living these things out in a way that brings honor to You. Because all things, as we just saw, all things are from You. Everything is Yours. We belong to You. Use us for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us, or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.